Good morning, world. Welcome to another episode of Zen Dependently Minded. If you are a new or returning listener, I truly hope you enjoy this episode. And before we get into the podcast, here is a brief word from our sponsor, Anchor. How's it going, bros? It's your boy, Louis V. the 15th, or whichever one didn't get mercilessly killed in front of his constituents or whatever. But I'm back with another episode of Zen Dependently Minded. Feels kind of weird because I'm actually doing this, well I guess technically all of my previous episodes for a while have been audio only, because I kind of jumped the gun on that, on the Spotify allowing my video podcasts. I didn't even look into it, I had just seen that it was available, so I went and assumed and announced on the podcast. So sorry about that for any of the three people that actually watch the podcast rather than listen to it. You have to actually apply. Um, Spotify asks that you apply for the video thing. You tell them your podcast name, what it's about, how many episodes you've done, how many, how long you've been doing it, all this, whatever stuff. They look into it and they decide whether or not they're going to um, approve you or not. So I'm not going to really worry about it for now. I'll just wait to hear back from them. I'm sure they have tons of people applying and just got to cross my fingers and hope that they they do approve it. If not, I'm I got to find another way to put videos up because I mean YouTube actively demotes my content and I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care so much if it didn't take so damn long to upload stuff there. It takes ridiculously long for me to for them to process, to upload and then eventually post videos and then there's a chance that I could get a copyright strike like I did with the one episode which I are not a copyright strike but it was a it was a strike terms of service strike the, whoever whoever manually reviewed the the algorithm catching my talk of the presidential election had bias because well, I I said this before uh, I got my very first video podcast taken down because they said that I was furthering conspiracy theories and talk about 2020 the 2020 presidential election being fraudulent which i wasn't i stated that in the next episode uh in my reaction to it being removed i even listened back to the episode and found the part that they that their algorithm probably like i i forgave the algorithm part but then when i when i um appealed the strike and put my reasoning down and then they still still uh kept the copyright strike and removed the video that's unacceptable because in the episode I talked about the 2016 election being fair and Donald Trump winning the 2016 presidential election fair and square, which is fact because he was the president for four years. Uh, yeah, whoever, whoever reviewed the video didn't listen to the context, didn't even focus on the context, didn't care to focus on the context. They clearly had bias as do most employees in my opinion, for these tech companies. But whatever, the episode is really popular through all the other podcast platforms, so no use in crying over spilled milk or whatever the saying is. Anyway, if the Anchor Spotify deal doesn't work out, the, the video stuff doesn't work out, I'll find a, another video hosting platform. It's it's a little more difficult than you would imagine to to find a, a video hosting platform because most people just be like, Oh, daily motion. Oh, um, what's the, what's the YouTube alternative, whatever. And I can't do that though, because looking at 
the history of these tech companies, once they start to grow, they start to get advertiser money. The advertisers, they, they rely on the advertiser money. And then once those advertisers start to see, oh, hey, your third most popular person on your platform, he says things that don't align with us. So you either tell him, tell the person to change their content, remove them, or we're going to yank our advertiser money. That's how it always happens. Every single platform, whether it's a publishing company, whether it's a video hosting or audio hosting or any kind of media agency, every single one of them starts out saying, we're going to stand for free speech. We're going to never budge to the corporate press. We're never going to do this. And it's easy to say that. This is actually a topic that I unknowingly and unwittingly segued into that I wanted to talk about anyway. So I, I guess it's here. It's easy to sit here and grandstand when you're relatively unknown, not as an insult. I'm relatively unknown. I'm speaking for myself. It's easy for me to sit here and it's easy for a lot of people. That's why they do it to sit there and be like, I would never sell out. Oh, you know, this artist sold out this, this rapper, oh, Juice World sold out by signing to this label. Nav sold out for signing to this label. Chance the Rapper. Say that about any... People did it to Casey Neistat. Uh, selling whatever he... I don't remember. I think he sold some kind of software or something to CNN. And made millions of dollars. And then really stopped making YouTube videos. Because there was no need for him to work so hard. Producing content. When he made millions of dollars from a deal with CNN. A lot of people were pissed and they said, Oh, he sold out. Joe Rogan, oh, he sold out to Spotify. It's easy to sit here. Especially for me. To sit here and be like, Oh... You know, I would never take a deal from a company. It's easy to say that when you don't have <laughs> when you don't have those offers on the table. Once you see the zeros on the offer, whether it's like through an email or you go meet them in person, you, once you see the money and it's tangible and you can envision all the things you can do with the money. Oh, I'm going to open this. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to finally pay for this and get this leak fixed or whatever. It's easy for people to to talk about never taking this and never taking that. When there are no offers on the table. And it's the same thing with these video hosting uh, platforms. That's what I'm trying to get at. Because I looked into Rumble. I actually posted a couple of my podcast episodes about a year, a little over a year ago to Rumble once I heard about it. They're supposed to be, oh, completely free speech. They're the new alternative to YouTube. I went on there. A lot of people attacked it and were saying, oh, man, there's just neo-Nazis and people that are rightfully getting banned from YouTube and Twitter. They're going to Rumble now. I went on there, it was mostly like dog videos. It was like a new version of Vine. They were short, because the way that they're set up is you have to watch a video to get a ticket. And a ticket, a Rumble ticket, this is how it worked back then. I don't know if it does now. I haven't been on there for a while, but you get a ticket for every video you watch. And then those tickets will allow you to leave a like or leave a Rumble or a comment, I think, on other videos. So you have to watch the video before you give feedback or whatever. Something like that. I, I honestly... I can't remember, it's been so long. But Rumble has started to grow, obviously, when the media tried to get Joe Rogan canceled twice, one for the N-word and one for the misinformation thing. Rumble actually offered $100 million for him to be to move over to their platform and be exclusive, and he turned it down. Of course, there would be a lot of legal issues, I, I imagine, if Joe was to void his contract and go over to Rumble. But one of the things I've noticed with Rumble starting to grow is there there's a lot of weird content on there and I don't really mind it it's just I don't I don't want to sound elitist but the platform sucks I 
only successfully ever uploaded one or two episodes, but I tried almost every week to upload and then never was able to process. Something always happened. Video just never, it never worked out. And since I produce, I record and I edit everything by myself. I mean, I don't have a lot of, I don't have all the time in the world to constantly be checking the status and being like, oh, did this work? Did this work? It just, Rumble is not, Rumble was not the move back then. I will absolutely look into it. I already am looking into it to see if there's any improvements. And I'm sure there are improvements. This is a new, relatively new hosting site. So you could see me on Rumble, could see me on, I don't know, Daily Motion or whatever other alternatives are on the come up. I just want to be able to get video out there because I know a lot of people enjoy listening and they can enjoy listening to the audio. That's how I am with podcasts. I rarely watch podcasts. It's just, for me, I'm listening to the podcast for the conversation, for the for the laughs, the giggles, and I don't need to see the person to laugh and giggle. But for some of the like comedian, the comedy-oriented podcasts that I do listen to, sometimes their bit could involve something physical and whatever, whatever. I'll watch the clip on YouTube. But I know there are a lot of people out there that actually do genuinely enjoy listening rather than watching, and then it's the other way around. So I want to appeal... To all audiences, I want—I don't want anybody to not be able to listen or watch the podcast or consume it if they want to. I mean, like I said, I'm relatively unknown. I—I I, my followers and my listeners and my streams and downloads or whatever—it's been growing, but I'm not any. It's nothing to quit my job over or anything like that yet. Yet, another thing, another reason why I'm hesitant to just hop on board for any of these video platforms is what I was getting into earlier. It's easy for them to, once someone's getting, to, to kind of exist as as a quote-unquote alternative when there are big names getting canceled or getting removed from other platforms, that's their chance. It's like a, it's kind of like a power vacuum. They can be like, hey, you know, if you come over here, this would never happen to you. Like I said, it's easy to say that when you're on the come-up. But I'm doing this podcast with five years in the future in mind of me doing the podcast still, having better equipment better quality stuff, more guests, you know, possibly a real studio. I've, I've talked about wanting to have those, you know, those kind of neon signs, have like a neon sign made that says independently minded in the back of my, my videos, the way a lot of people do. I'm in this for the long term, and I don't want to get my, like hit my stride one, two, three, four years into the podcast with a, a young platform. And then all of a sudden they start getting advertisement advertiser money it's really crazy there's a lot of changes then all of a sudden I'm without a home uh for my podcast (laughs) not in real life I'm without a home I'm without a hosting platform and then boom I can't make my podcast this has happened so many times for people it's happened so many times on YouTube for people that sometimes do stupid stuff and then sometimes they don't and they just are victims of the the weird imperfect algorithms that Google and YouTube have anyway I took 11 minutes to get to the point. I'm looking actively for video podcasting, video hosting platforms. So don't worry, there will be video sometime. This episode is going to be audio only. And it's weird recording audio only because I am actually still wearing my sunglasses. It's just part of the feel. It's part of the... If if I change my routine, it's going to feel kind of weird. And it already does feel kind of weird because... Usually I have something to look at and to focus on to to keep me on track for what I'm talking about. Right now I'm just looking at the audio waves. <laughs> so it's been kind of weird. So just bear with me. I'm going to try to 
I took a lot of notes. I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings and opinions on things throughout the week since the, the last episode. And I have a lot of notes. Uh, it looks like I have like seven pages, five pages of notes. I'm not going to get to all of it. I'm probably going to read some of it and just kind of decide what I feel like talking about most or what what you guys will even care about. Because if I... I'm sure you guys understand. I'm sure there's been episodes where I would talk about stuff that you didn't care about and then you probably skipped, which is fine. That's that's how I do with with every content creator that I follow. But so let's see. Okay, yeah, I definitely want to reiterate my feelings, my kind of whack and weak closing statement that I left on last week's episode about forced inclusiveness and wokeness. So the reason, like I said before, I'm looking for an agent, I'm actively every single day, I'm looking, I'm making, I'm bookmarking agents and their portfolios and their profiles, and I usually will go back and then just do a massive query for like five to ten agents in one sitting, unless they ask specifically to not agent them and another agent within their within their agency, I'll send it to a bunch of them at a time. That's just, the more the more you, obviously, the more you pitch, the more you query, the higher of a chance you have of, of landing a deal. I've only ever gotten two emails back where they were interested in seeing my stuff, ended up not panning out in my favor. It's the name of the game. I knew this was going to happen. But what I didn't realize was, was going to be my biggest obstacle. I thought the problem was going to be finding an agent that likes me. And obviously, that is a problem. I haven't landed any deals yet. But I'm also having issues finding an agent that I like. Because I have a website, it's a great database for like all agents across, you know, smaller independent agencies. And then I even pitch to an agent that works for WME for Endeavor. If you guys don't know, they're one of the biggest talent agencies, not just for writers, for actors, directors, producers. They have serious connections. And if I was to land a deal with them, that'd be perfect. Because like I said, I, I plan on writing the script and turning all of my stories, I envision all of my stories as movies or shows, and that would just be perfect, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. I have been, like I said in the last episode, every single agent has, like, the almost, it seems like, socially mandatory little disclaimer that says, you know, I'm really interested in in helping and representing neurodiverse underrepresented, minority, LGBTQIA, BIPOC voices, all this stuff. And I don't have a problem with that part. I understand. You have to, you kind of have to put that out there so people don't attack you. And it's just kind of an insurance policy. So people who are actively looking for agents, if they do identify as one of those, they don't feel like they're being discriminated against. And that's great. I, I hope people who are on the spectrum, I hope BIPOC, I'm not sure what that even means. I hope people who are in the LGBTQ community or identify as that, not everyone who is gay, bisexual, transgender identifies as a member of that community because it's a scam. That's topic for another discussion. I hope they feel included. That's the good part of this. The bad part is the ones that I see most of the time. And it's the ones that say, unsolicited manuscripts I'm not accepting right now. Unless you are BIPOC. So unless you are a person of color, you cannot send me your query. It's going to go straight into the trash. I have a spam filter for it. Unless you put in the subject line, hey, I'm black. Hey, 
I'm Nicaraguan. Hey, I'm Puerto Rican. And that's frustrating to me because I've said this before. I am a Filipino American. I'm half Filipino and half white. And in that white, there's a lot of cool European uh, ancestry. And that's a whole nother fascinating discussion. I think I've talked about it before. <clears throat> oh boy, the phlegm. Phlegm from the coffees here again. But I, it, it's frustrating to me because you can tell the people, when I'm looking at these agents, it's it's kind of a weird thing that I'm telling you guys this because you kind of have to see it to, to fully understand it, but I'm going to describe it anyways because I've already started. <laughs> but you can tell which of the agents actually have the author's best interest in mind. You can tell the ones that just put it there because it's mandatory. Maybe it's a guideline or it's a rule that you that the, the agency they work for has. And then you see the ones, and I'm not trying to single them out, but the ones with the blue hair, the ones with the pink hair, the ones with the million piercings on their face, the ones with the neck tattoos and the face tattoos and the completely blacked out arms. Those people are not looking at the author's they're they're not looking at their client's best interest and you can tell it just rubs me the wrong way and it it pisses me off so bad because you can tell that a lot of the agents that are in the business are there because they want to take the credit for an idea that they didn't come up with that they didn't create some some beautiful piece of art they want to just proudly say oh you know i represented my fifth asian this week how about you, Clarice? And Clarice is like, oh, you know, I got seven blacks. So that's the way I, I that's the way I, it rubs me. That's the way that I feel that it is. They look at quote unquote, I've never identified myself as a person of color. I've never identified myself as a minority because I don't, my racial and ethnic background and makeup is not the main personality trait of mine. It's in fact, one of the lower ones. I don't see myself as a minority. I don't like to victimize myself. I don't like to point fingers and say, you know, you know, I didn't get this publishing deal because they're discriminating against Filipino Americans. I could pull that card and I bet you it would get people at least paying attention. I don't think it would get me a deal because at the end of the day, they they put that as a, as a mandatory kind of disclaimer, but I do genuinely believe most agents and publishers still, <laughs> they'll be like, okay, We'll look at them first, but then if their writing still sucks, we're still going to reject them. Whatever. But I just feel like some of the most selfish, wannabe woke people, they fool a lot of people, but they don't fool people like me. They don't fool smart people that pay attention. They don't fool a lot of the quote-unquote minorities that they pretend they're speaking for. Because like I said in the at the end of last episode, I don't need you to speak for me. I don't need you to stand up for me. I don't need you. All I need is... You to represent me and start pitching my shit to publishers because a lot of publishers, they don't want to look at a, at a manuscript unless they know it's being, it's been, what do you call it? It's been vouched for by a, uh, an agent that they've worked for and that they trust and they know kind of their vision aligns with them. But a lot of these really, in my opinion, horrible people, evil people, selfish people, they look at people like me as a statistic they like look looking back to the 2012 presidential debates when people were up in arms because someone asked a member from the audience asked Mitt Romney if how 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 are you gonna help like women 
women being included in the workforce because they don't they're they're not being included there there are not a lot of women that are working in like politics or something like that and then Mitt Romney said oh I got oh I got whole binders full of women and people were saying oh see he objectifies women he sees them as binders but really what he was saying is I have binders full of women filled with women applying for this because people like women like to work for me or women like to work in this field uh, when they're associated with me whatever he obviously fumbled the bag there. He's not known for being the best speaker, and he was obviously debating one of the better speakers uh, as far as presidents and presidential candidates go in Barack Obama. But that's the way I feel. That's the, my immediate reaction when I see people like this that are saying, you know, I'm close to unsolicited submissions unless you were referred by someone or you're BIPOC or you're LGBTQIA. And it's like, man... I'm starting to feel discriminated against because I'm not one of those, but I'm not going to pull that card because I have morals. It's just, you're looking at me and you're as a number, you're looking at me as a statistic, you're looking at me as a file that goes into your quota box so you can brag to all your other agent friends in LA and in Hollywood and in Beverly Hills and in New York being like, I got me a Filipino American today and I don't want that. It's annoying and I get worked up about it, but then I end up calming down because I'm like, hey, at the end of the day, that's their shtick. That's their audience. Good for them. That's their choice. When you're an agent, that's the great thing about being an agent. You get to decide what you want to represent. If you're into cookbooks, you can put on your profile, I'm not looking for historical fiction. I'm not looking for mystery. I'm not looking for high fantasy. I'm looking for cookbooks. So whatever, man. Good for them for finding their niche, but I'm not going to support that. I don't support it. And just know that a lot of people don't trust you. They look at you as a grimy piece of shit, selfish asshole. And yeah, but that's the beauty of the game. There are so many agents out there. And that's why another, another reason why I feel very not in a rush. I'm in a rush, I guess you could say, and getting my first book published because I, you know, I want to get my foot in the door. I want to start making a name for myself. This is something I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to write. I am. I write every day. I read every day. This is, this is something I'm genuinely passionate about, but I'm not stressed that I'm not getting any deals because in the age, in 2022, I have the internet, literally the sky's the limit, past the sky's the limit, outside in another universe is the limit. In the age, in 2022, I have so many resources to be able to find the right person and I will. And right now, this website is so rich with agents that I'm not even through the last names that start with A yet. So, I mean, I have the rest of the alphabet to go through. I'm going to find an agent. And I actually was venting my fr frustration to someone recently about this topic. And they said something that kind of had me sit back and think in the long term and in the, in the bigger picture. And he was saying, hey, you just got to find an agent that's as passionate about your work as you are. And he was right. That's completely right. And I'm, I'm glad that I vented my frustration and had that said to me because I hadn't really thought about it that way. I mean, it's, it's kind of on the nose, but sometimes the most obvious things that are right in front of you, you fail to see like your nose, you know, you can see your nose, like your nose is there. It's in your vision 24 <laughs> seven, but you, it, you're, you, you've grown accustomed to it. So you don't focus on it. It's a stupid, stupid comparison, but it's true. I just need to find an agent that's not in it for selfish gains, that's not in it to fulfill a quota, 
and to prove how woke they are. And I tr I've said this before. I truly believe that the 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 uber woke and uber inclusive crowd are doing it. They're being as extra loud up front with their words so they can hide previous actions that they're embarrassed or ashamed of. Best example is Chrissy Teigen, John Legend's wife. Chrissy Teigen, one of the biggest, biggest megaphone, woke, inclusive people on the entire planet. Meanwhile, she's DMing models that she sees as competition, telling them to kill themselves. So, it always happens. There's always someone that screams and calls for other people to be canceled because they want the attention off of them. And then, meanwhile, they're deleting tweets. They're deleting thousands of tweets off their Twitter that their woke buddies would cancel them for if they saw. And I don't believe anybody should be canceled for anything that they've said, especially things that are long, that have happened in the past, especially things that they've changed their minds on, they've evolved on, they've learned from, they've grown from. Because I've said this before, I say a lot of dumb shit right now on the podcast. Sometimes people will bring up something I've said and I'd be like, I'll cringe a little bit, I'll be like, ooh, did I really say that for the internet to say? For the internet to hear? But when I was young... And I was an angsty adolescent teenager growing up and I didn't have Facebook and Twitter and stuff. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I thank my parents in the back of my mind every day that I didn't. Because the things that I would have said in my vulnerable child, you know, just angry, you know, pu pubescent self would have been saying some crazy stuff that I would have regret. And that's, you know... My parents explained this to me when I was, when I first created a Facebook to keep in touch with friends since I'm a Navy brat and we moved around all the time. I created a Facebook. They were saying, this is so you can keep in touch with all your friends and so you don't lose touch with them because I know how much you value your friends. You're close to your friends. You love your best friends. You want to keep in touch with them. Here's your Facebook. But I, I don't know if it was my mom or my dad or maybe both of them, but they, they told me, Hey, the things you put on the internet, they're there forever. You can delete your Facebook post, you can delete a tweet, but it doesn't mean it's gone. There are screenshots, there's the code from the tweets, they go on to other sites. And I know this from experience because there are some episodes of my podcast that I've deleted in the past, like earlier ones, and if you search deep enough into the internet, you'll find a site that hasn't deleted it yet. Because deleting it from the hosting site doesn't automatically mean it's deleted from everything else. But I'm glad I had, I'm, I'm, I'm always grateful, especially as I grow older and I start to go from being a young adult to, well, I'm still a young adult, but as I start to get, progress into my 20s, I, I really am able to look back and be grateful for the values that I was passed down from my parents. Anyway, wow, 26 27 minutes in and I have not talked about any current events. Anyway, I just wanted to get that off, get that, you know, off my chest. It's, it's just something I felt passionate about that I wanted to talk about. At the end of the day, I believe just like Kanye West's song, Jail, he sings, he says, I'll be honest, we are liars. And just like Holden Caulfield says in The Catcher in the Rye, everybody's phony, everybody's fake. And then you learn in the book, he's an unreliable narrator. He says really early on, I'm a terrific liar. I'm the most terrific liar you've ever met. Everybody is phony. That's the point of the story. Even Holden, who's constantly crying and 
mimicking and insulting people who are phony and fake. The next scene, he'll be fake and phony. That's how it is. Everybody's fake. And I would rather you be open and honest and upfront about your darker thoughts. Like, this is why I'm attracted to dark humor. I like all kinds of humor, but I do like dark humor a lot. Nothing is funnier to me than the guy who goes on stage, possibly eats shit, possibly kills, but says something that is socially unacceptable to say. That is one of the funniest things in, on the entire planet. Take a word that you're not allowed to say, um, and then they say it. But, of course, just going on stage and calling someone the C word. It's like, okay, whatever. That's, I mean, that's not that funny. But when they, when they, are, when they create it into a, a good joke or a good bit, nothing is better to me. That is, that is the, what do you call it, the creme de la fraiche or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to compare it to. But that's why I love comedy. That's why I love comedians. They are, in a sense, the purest form of commentator because the reason everyone loves them is at the end of a 40-hour work week, do you really want to continue to hear, after hearing this shit in the workplace for 40 hours, hearing people be like, Trump this, Russia that, oh, you know, Biden is the new Hitler, oh, you know, Kamala Harris, you know, she's part of the KKK. Do you really want to hear that for longer than you already have to? No. So you go to a comedy show because you want to decompress. You want to hear... Someone say something that you're thinking, that you've been thinking, but you won't say out loud because, you know, you work in a corporate office and that's not really acceptable to say. Comedians say the things that everyone is thinking, but they're not willing to say out loud. And that's what I love about com comedy. Comedy of all kinds. There are some kind of cleaner comedians that I, that I like. I tend to gravitate more towards the comedians that might be dirty but it's not forced an example for me that I, i've just i've never been into is dane cook dane cook drops the f-bomb every two seconds and it's just too much for me it's it's too forced you can't say the f-word too much and yeah like I, i've i've shared my favorite comedians recently but my if i if i had to narrow down to my three favorite comedians right now that are up and coming that are killing it if i had to pick three for me, it's Tim Dillon, Mark Norman, and Tom Segura, in no order. Those three, anything that they put out, any interview, any podcast they do, even if it's on Zoom, I hate Zoom podcasts, I'm going to listen to that shit, because they're the best, they're the best at it. Um, but to finish this point, you're all fake. You're all fake, I'm fake, everyone postures, and everyone talks about, everyone likes to posture and grandstand and they, they pick their things, they want to focus, selective outrage, That's I think that's the correct term. People think pick their things that they want to be outraged about, and that, that they can be loud about on the internet, to let other people know, hey, I'm virtuous, I care about this cause. And that's all well and good. The more attention and awareness that can be brought to a problem, the better. I've said this though also, awareness is the first step. Once you get all the eyes on, on the problem... You want to come up with the next step like, okay, now that I have your attention, I'm asking you guys to donate $5 to uh, creating wells, water wells in Africa. Or I'd, I'd like you guys to donate $5 to 
to the purchasing of filters for water in Flint, Michigan, whatever. That's great. Great intention, or maybe good intention. But in the end, it usually works out. It usually ends up resulting in positive change. But once you start to attack other people and with your outrage, and you point the outrage cannon on other people and be like, you are buying from Amazon? You know Amazon uses this? And then they're tweeting from an Apple iPhone where some of the precious metals that power the iPhone are being mined in the Congo by slaves, or they're being mined in some poor country in Africa, and they have guns pointed at them by Apple employees telling them to hurry up so they can work their 16-hour shifts and get all the metal they can so Apple can continue to make profit and be one of the richest companies in the entire world. Selective outrage. If you're going to attack other people for the businesses that they support, for whatever evil reasons the the business is, for whatever evil crimes the business is committing, point the cannon back at yourself because the clothes you're wearing, the phone you're on, the laptop you're on, the, the TV you're using, the 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 distribution site like Amazon you're buying from, they all do dumb shit. So it's better to not pretend that you care. Stop pretending you care because you don't really care. I know a lot of people who are constantly talking, oh, this is a great example. This is the last thing I want to talk about. I'm glad I didn't forget this. So I told you guys, I have someone that I know is actually a teacher of mine from high school that recently inked the publishing deal. She's working with her editors and her book is going to be released soon. A few years ago, though, before obviously the deal was landed, it deal it landed in 2021. She announced it on her Facebook. A few years ago, she was constantly complaining about corporations like Walmart and Amazon. Those are the two ones she focused on. She talked about how horrible they are. Everyone should cancel their memberships with Amazon. Shop mom and pop. Don't shop at Walmart. I agree with that sentiment. Then she inks this publishing deal, and can you guys guess where the what the biggest website and seller is that her book is going to be sold from. If you guessed it starts with an A and ends in Mazan, then you're correct. So like I said in the past, it's easy to talk about not selling out and posturing when there are no deals on the table. When there's deals on the table, all of a sudden, most people's morals go out the window. And I've openly admitted that I can sit here and say, oh, I'd never sell my podcast to so-and-so. But I, I truly cannot answer that confidently without there being deals on the table. I like nice cars. I watched a video on an Aston Martin Vantage last night and was like, oh man, I wish I had 150k to buy that car. Who knows? Someone offered me $5 million to start talking about how great Dr. Fauci is. <laughs> I might do it. I'm going to be honest with you guys. And that's my point. I would rather you be honest about your flaws, be honest about your you know, the the, bl the blind spots you have in your, your values, then to sit here and pretend. Because I, I've said this before, I don't know what it is, I've been gifted with the ability to understand people. Sometimes my social awareness is like, I don't know, if you catch me on the wrong day, I can't understand sarcasm. Sometimes I'm stupid, but for the most part, I'm really good at being able to see through bullshit. I can tell. If you're talking to me and saying, oh yeah, I'd love to represent you. I can I can tell if you're doing it and you're seeing me as an author, as a writer, and as a passionate creator, or just as a, an Asian American that fills your quota, that checks off the Asian Pacific Islander, whatever the fuck 
box on your on your resume, on your uh, employee record or whatever. I would rather you be honest about your flaws than try to hide them. Because we all have flaws. Kanye West said it best. We're all liars. That's that's that that's it. I mean. <laughs> so yeah. Sorry. I'm going to try not to waste your guys' time and I'll get into the uh, nitty gritty. So, first bit of news I wanted to talk about. I read this really interesting. I'm going to actually, if you hear any clicking, that's my mouse. I want to pull up this article and I don't want to misrepresent it. And I, I'm going to share the article and the studies included in the description of this podcast. If I don't forget, I will try my best to remember. So, Clark County Today, <clears throat> they posted an article about actu- actually featuring a study that Dr. Robert Malone, who I've talked about in the past and that I've praised in the past, he put this study on his Substack. And this was a study done by, I want to say Stanford. Yeah, Stanford. So it says Stanford researchers tested the duration of a, of the protein that comes from the mRNA COVID vaccines called spike protein. So a spike protein, I don't completely understand it, but basically the, the, the way that I understand a spike protein is spike proteins. Okay. So a little background. The COVID vaccine is an mRNA vaccine. It's not like, and that makes it different. The typical vaccine, like the flu vaccine, it takes a dead version. So I'm going to dumb this down and I'm sure people are, can correct me on this, but I'm going to say it as, I'm going to explain it as best as I understand it. But something like the flu vaccine, it's a dead version of that current strain or variant of that year. Or the year, the previous year, I'm not sure. I don't know if they could get the current year that quick. But it takes the dead virus, so it's not as dangerous. Injects it into your body, your immune system attacks it, and then it learns and, and protects and arms the immune system for the future. If the next flu comes, the immune system will recognize it and be like, all right, we've done this before, we're going to do it. We're going to do it, we're going to handle it just fine. The mRNA vaccine for the COVID vaccine they're different, so they do not give you a dead version of COVID. I think that would be too dangerous, and I think that's why they decided not to do it. Instead, it injects mRNA, aka spike proteins. So it injects spike proteins, gets delivered by nanoparticles. Let me pull up the article and make sure that I am reading this correctly. So it gets, so it injects and encodes the spike protein, and then unique nanoparticles are kind of like the transfer system, and that's what delivers it to the body. And then the body that way can take that spike protein code and use it to arm the immune system for if and when the person is to get COVID. The problem with this is, though, the CDC posts on their website that spike proteins are completely harmless and the body gets rid of it and sheds it very quickly. Turns out the Stanford research study shows that they were able to produce results that, that were peer-reviewed, of course. And like I said, I'm going to link this in the description. They were able to get results that show, oh, you know what? The spike proteins are actually staying in the body for, on an average, of a minimum of 60 days, which is far more than what the CDC says. I want to say the CDC said it's harmless, completely harmless, don't need to worry about it, body gets rid of it within 30 days. The Stanford research study, which was peer-reviewed, of course, People, these universities, like my fucking jack, jack-off professor at my school loves these peer-reviewed studies, so he should love this, but shows that they're 
they stay in the body longer um, than 30 days. And they're not, in fact, harmless. Another, so cardiologist, Dr. Peter McCullough, I've talked about him before and I've praised his work before. This is this is a great the great thing about the internet and Substack and podcasts is that COVID is a subject and it's a virus that doesn't just that should never just call on one expert one expertise area. So just having the entire public listen to someone like Dr. Fauci is not the responsible way to go because the there are people that understand infectious diseases there are people that understand viruses. They're called virologists. There are people that understand Im, um, immunizations or vaccines. They're called immunologists or vaccinologists. Then there are people that are, what do you call them, like physicians that understand the lungs and how the virus could affect the lungs. And then there's people like Dr. Peter, McCull- Peter McCullough. He's a cardiologist so and an epidemiologist, so he he is... He can talk about epidemics, and people can trust him. He's credentialed to talk about that. And he's a cardiologist, so he is credentialed and can be trusted to talk about cardiology or the heart. So why does this matter? Why does the spike protein matter? And that's what I'm going to get into. Dr. Peter McCullough, who analyzed this study and reviewed it and talked about it on his podcast, was talking about how spike proteins are dangerous for the heart. So the way that he described it, when someone gets the mRNA vaccine, also, by the way, you get spike proteins from natural immunity. So this is even more dangerous for people who have gotten COVID, which everybody has probably gotten COVID by now. Most people, a lot of people are asymptomatic. They didn't know. They have the antibodies. They have the spike protein in their body. But then whether they decide to because they have the right to, to get the vaccine just for no reason or for protection, they feel comfortable for their family, whatever the reason is, once they get the vaccine, they're basically building up more spike protein. And the way that Peter McCullough explained this is the lipid nanoparticles that are transferring the spike protein into the mRNA system, the immune system, they're going right into the heart. And he believes that's why studies indicate, and I've brought this up before, this is factual, this is not some QAnon conspiracy, this is something you can look up yourself. He believes this is why studies indicate that there is a higher rate of myocarditis, particularly in adults from the age of, adult males, um, young males from the age 24 to 0, 0 to 24, associated with the vaccines. That's what he was saying that's what he, that's the conclusion he's come to and it makes sense it makes sense with my brief understanding my 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 kind of basic understanding of spike proteins and nanoparticles and how they interact and affect the heart it makes sense and what does this mean what what independently minded what are you trying to say gabe what are you trying to tell me well, all i'm trying to say the reason i shared this is because this is a risk that the government has the responsibility to inform people on before they get the vaccine. That's all. I don't think people should listen to this and not get vaccinated. I'm not saying that at all. I don't think people should listen to this and not get their kids vaccinated. This has been the point that I have always believed from before COVID even came. I've all I started to have these feelings of of 
individual choice and freedom since I was like 16 and I was in high school. Apply it to anything, but specifically it's going to be applied to COVID because that's what I'm talking about right now. People need to know the risk, and if you're going to offer liability protection to the vaccine manufacturers, you literally you should not only have a legal responsibility, but you should have a moral and ethical responsibility to inform people of the inherent risks and the inherent advantages, of course. There are advantages. There are undeniable advantages to getting the COVID vaccine. I've talked about it before. Even if the risk is small, which the risk of getting myocarditis from the vaccine, there's also a risk of getting myocarditis from getting COVID and having an adverse reaction to COVID. So these are all things that you should be informed on. Parents should be informed on. Single people should be informed on. Couples, whatever. Everyone should be informed on the risk and the advantages, no matter how common or uncommon, so they can make an informed choice. This is what I've stressed since the beginning of COVID, since I started to talk about the vaccines. Individual choice should always trump everything else. It should trump herd thought. It should trump groupthink. It should trump mandates. It should trump everything out there. Individual choice is most important. Informed consent is most important. This is, this is basically what Robert Malone pushed. And for some reason, people wanted to get that episode removed when the biggest takeaway that I took from that episode was that he wants people to be informed on the possible risks of the, of the vaccine. He's vaccinated. So he's not out here. He's not an anti-vaxxer. He's vaccinated and he's boosted. He said it on the episode. He had to in order to continue to do his work around the world. If you're traveling around the world, it's not just with COVID. You have to be up to date on all your vaccines um, because they don't want you dying or taking possibly being a carrier for something like polio over to do if you're doing a, a study in Africa and you bring polio and you completely wipe out a country or something that's messed up. So that was my biggest takeaway from this article. I just wanted to share it with you guys. I just want to, you know, this is something interesting that I found out. Um, take from it what you will or not. You can, you can listen to this and decide, oh, you know, the risk is not too great for me. I think the risk is greater for me if I get COVID, so I'm going to get the vaccine. That is great. I'm 100 million percent in favor of your choice to make your own decision. That has been my stance the entire time for the past year and a half since the vaccines came out and since mandates started to get passed. So the next bit I wanted to talk about, this is just kind of a, a weird, random, like early morning thought. I think I've said it before, when I drive, especially early in the morning, or just when I drive, period, I come up, you know, car thoughts as I'm driving. I come up, I've come up with some of the coolest and most exciting ideas for books as I'm driving. And the great thing is I have a notes app that lets me do voice notes because, of course, I'm not going to type on my phone while I'm driving, uh, especially in a BMW, not to brag or anything, but I had this kind of idea as I was driving to work and it's like, I, it's, I'm not serious about it at all. It, it could completely just be some random brain fart, brain fog, early morning, morning shift, you know, train of thought, but seeing, you know, having friends and family that are in the military that are actively monitoring the situation with Ukraine and Russia, and then hearing what they have to say on what's actually happening, and then seeing what the media is reporting 
Basically, the media is ass backwards on everything that they say. When they say, oh, Russia is, Russia is pulling troops out. I go talk to someone that I know that's in the military, and they say, oh, you know, actually, the, he's, Putin has pushed more troops to go to the borders. He's actually, invasion's probably going to come this weekend. That It's like, it's a tug of war between what's actually happening and what the media is reporting. And if you've noticed, if you know anything about the stock market, you pay attention to that stuff. I happen to because I have a, a, a couple investments in the stock market. Every time the media reports that troops are going, that, that Russia is going to invade this weekend, stock market plummets. Every time the media reports, oh, troops are getting withdrawn, stock market shoots up. And I just had this random thought. I was like, what if, what if... The media reports that the invasion is imminent, so everything plummets, everything tanks. Those huge media conglomerates go in, they buy Raytheon, they buy, um, Raytheon's the only, <laughs> it's the only company that I know you can buy stocks in that, that makes weapons for the military or whatever. They go in, they, they buy 10,000 Raytheon stocks, then they start to report, oh, Actually, tr troops are withdrawing. Stock market goes up. They just made a couple million dollars. This is just a random idea I had. I don't think, you know, I don't know enough to actually. I'm 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 just some random 22 year old that does a podcast out of my guest room in my apartment. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> this is just a funny, a little funny conspiracy I came up with. I actually messaged a friend about it, and he told me I was batshit crazy. He was like, "Dude, markets fluctuate. That's just part of the." And he could be right. He probably is right. It's just a funny idea that I had. Let's see. Last thing that I think I want to talk about. So, oh, there's two more things I want to talk about. So, New York Post reported and they made an article about how. So, the headline said, like, Amazon suspends Black Lives Matter from charity. And I was like, oh, all right. That's a very, very aggressive headline. That's going to piss people off. And they're probably not going to read the article. So, let me read the article so I can find out what's happening here before I react to it. And basically what I gathered from the article was that Amazon actually has a charity part of their company called Amazon Smile. And they banned, they suspended Black Lives Matter from its charity platform, Amazon Smile, for not disclosing where tens of millions of dollars in donations that they got a couple years ago, where those donation dollars went. And... If you know anything about charities and nonprofits and the way that donations go, whenever you make a sizable donation, I don't know the exact dollar amount. I'm sure it differs depending on the charity or the nonprofit organization. But the IRS tracks every single, they track the donations that the charity are receiving, and then they track the donation that the person, the donor, is sending out. So when it's a sizable amount, this is like anti-money laundering 101. There needs to be a disclosure and there needs to be an explanation as to where, if it's a sizable amount, the charity or the nonprofit needs to disclose the plans and the usages, the use of the money, what they plan on doing with them in the future. So the IRS knows that the donor is not money laundering and so they know that the nonprofit or the charity is not money laundering. So this is actually what happened in the lead up for the Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier uh, third fight. So, if you guys didn't know, a little bit of MMA, uh, wacky, fun, zany fact for you. In the lead up to the second Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier 
fight. So the rematch, Conor McGregor knocked out Dustin Poirier in 2014, back when they were a featherweight. Lots of things happened uh, in between then. Conor became champ champ. Dustin Poirier got a bunch of wins, put on one of the best and most exciting win streaks in lightweight history. They moved up weight classes, blah, blah, blah. They met in the rematch. It was very respectful leading up. And Conor even said, you know, I love uh, Dustin Poirier has a charity foundation called the Good Fight Foundation. And basically it helps all the donations that go to it. It's supposed to help at-risk kids. Um, you know, they're getting in trouble with the law. They don't have a stable home. They're orphans, whatever. It's a great charity, or at least it sounds like it. I, I've, I haven't looked into it enough. But Conor McGregor said, you know, I love the work that he's doing with this charity. So I'm pledging, I don't know, he said like a million dollars or something from my fight purse to your foundation. Uh, and then obviously... Conor McGregor got knocked out first time in his entire MMA career. Dustin Poirier knocked him out. He was still respectful, gave him all the credit, blah, blah, blah. Talked about coming back and being better and improving. And then there was even a really sweet and, uh, what do you call it, heartwarming video where Dustin Poirier's wife is talking to Conor backstage after the fight saying, thank you so much for the money. This money is going to help a lot of people. And Conor's really grateful and he, he's really happy that, that they're doing work, whatever. Fast forward a few months. The trilogy fight, the third fight, is agreed to. There hasn't been any trash talk yet. The third fight is agreed to, or it's in, actually, the UFC is in pursuit. They're in talks. Hasn't been agreed yet. And then, all of a sudden, in the middle of nowhere, Dustin Poirier goes on Twitter. And I know this because I follow these guys because I do MMA podcasts um, whenever there's big fights. I do combat sports episodes every once in a while. You guys know if you've been following this podcast for a while. But Dustin Poirier, out of nowhere, says calls out Connor and he's like, hey, Connor, we haven't received the money that you promised. The Good Fight Foundation hasn't received the money. We've been reaching out to your team. What the hell is going on? And he insinuates that Connor decided he's not going to donate because the outcome of the fight didn't go in his favor. And a lot of people were up in arms. A whole like day passed, a few or like half a day passed where people were pissed. They're like, what the hell is wrong with Connor McGregor? This guy is the highest paid athlete in the world. He's not donating the money. He promised because he got knocked out because he's salty. Fuck Conor McGregor. I hate this guy. He's a scumbag. What the hell? Then Conor responds. And he says, you know, in a classy way, he's not pissed yet. And he says, hey, my team reached out to your team and we we're waiting to hear back the disclosure of where the money's going to. Donations like in this size, he's, he explains this in the tweet. Donations of this size need an explanation of where the money's going. And you're, we have yet to hear back from your team. And then a little bit of time passes. People are still pissed at Connor. They don't understand how donations and charity and the taxes and how the IRS tracks that stuff works. So they're still defending Dustin. Then Dustin, I think, deletes the tweet and apologizes and says, shouldn't have made this public, should have talked to him privately. I apologize. This pisses Connor off. And then he agrees to the fight. The fight's officially been made. And then from then on, leading up, he's fucking pissed. He goes you know, savage old Connor mode, just dropping all the insults, accusing Dustin Poirier's wife of DMing him. He shows the proof, blah, blah, blah. But that that was just a mistake and an error and a lack of communication made between Dustin Poirier's team, you know, on Dustin Poirier's team's part. Connor McGregor has done an insane amount of charity work. He has donated an insane amount of money. He did it during the pandemic. He did it to the law enforcement and the uh, the health workers and whatever during covid he 
He's been injecting money into a community to build affordable housing in the slums of Ireland, whatever. He has experience with this stuff. He he probably isn't doesn't spearhead this stuff. He has a team that takes care of it and makes sure that nobody gets in trouble or accused or gets audited. And that's just anti-money laundering 101. And that's going to take it back to the Black Lives Matter charity platform not to not or uh, yeah, Black Lives Matter not disclosing where the tens of millions of dollars went. That's just basic anti-money laundering. That's how charities and nonprofits work because unfortunately, there are people out there that will donate insane amounts, immense amounts of money so they can write it off and get more of it back come tax uh, tax season. That is the unfortunate truth. There are some millionaires and billionaires out there that donate to good causes just so they can get a write-off when they do their taxes. And Amazon Amazon decided they are going to suspend them to avoid any, you know, IRS auditing issues. They're probably already facing problems and they got orders to suspend them. That's 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 it. Point blank period. There's no racism involved, there's no hate, there's no ideological bias, whatever. I've given you guys my opinion on Black Lives Matter, the organization, and how I do not support them. I wholeheartedly disagree with almost everything that they stand for and everything that they claim to stand for. The things they claim to stand for, I support. The saying Black Lives Matter, I support that. Because Black Lives Matter too. Black Lives Matter also. There are a group of people that feel Black Lives don't matter in America, and their feelings are not invalid. You can disagree with them, I may disagree with them, but I've said this before, you cannot tell someone that their feelings are invalid. That's how they feel. But the group, Black Lives Matter, just like the group, the organization, the LGBTQIA community, I don't believe that they have their constituents' best interest at heart. And I have an idea. I have a small, slight idea of where the tens of millions of dollars in donations to Black Lives Matter went. And one of the ideas I have is maybe to the purchasing of luxury houses and mansions that were made by the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Maybe that's where some of the money went. I don't know. I'm not accusing. That's just an idea. I'm sure it's being investigated right now. I'm sure that's why the co-founder of Black Lives Matter stepped down and completely distanced herself from the organization. And instead of, you know, giving an actual legit answer or reply to to her accusers, because I'm not the person who came up with this idea. A lot of people were like, hey, what the hell? You just bought a mansion. And coincidentally, the money that is getting donated that I donated, we don't know where it's going. And then she just cried racism. She said, people are attacking me because I'm racist, whatever. You can find the article yourself. I don't, I don't have it at the, <laughs> I don't have it on my laptop right now, but yeah, that's just an idea. I don't know. Last thing I wanted to talk about. This is really sad. This is very scary to see. And it's something that I hope everybody gets informed on and pays attention to, especially my fellow American citizens. So if you didn't know, there was the Freedom Convoy in Canada for the past, I want to say month or two, maybe, maybe more than the past couple months in Canada, there's been a convoy of truckers that were protesting and they got together. It started off as a protest and then it, it, it devolved into shutting down, you know, main roads and entrances to corporate buildings and skyscrapers and businesses and whatever. All it was in the beginning and you could argue that it still is today. 
It was just a group of truckers that were protesting, as is their right. They were protesting the vaccine mandates for truckers that had to travel to and from the United States for work to make a living. They were pissed because the way that Canada has it set up, they said, if you were to travel to the United States for business or whatever, for leisure, and you come back, you have to be fully vaccinated. Otherwise, we will not let you back in to your home to see your family, to work, whatever. And they were pissed, rightfully so. I've said this before. I've given my thoughts. I'm sure you guys can probably, with your eyes closed, with a bottle of half a bottle of whiskey down in you, still be able to cite and repeat my stances on vaccine mandates. And they were pissed, so they protested it. Then it started to gain momentum. More and more people who were even fully vaccinated and boosted, they were like, you know, I'm tired of this too. I'm going to support this either by showing up to the convoy and becoming a part of the convoy and inviting my people and uh, my friends and family or whatever to come to the Freedom Convoy, or I'm going to make a donation to them. Because if you guys didn't see, as the once all of a sudden coincidentally the sorry <clears throat> once coincidentally the freedom convoy started to affect the huge corporations and their ability to make money and it started to affect probably investors and stockholders then the hammer came down from Justin Trudeau and the Canadian regime so they started off with saying you know you cannot honk your horn you cannot honk your horn if you honk your horn in Ottawa, you're going to get arrested because honking your horn was like your way of showing support for the Freedom Convoy. It was really great to see a lot of individual people that weren't necessarily a part of the Freedom Convoy, but that wanted to show support that were just like, you know what? Fuck your law. You can come arrest me. I'm honking my fucking horn in my car. <laughs> Fuck off. I'm going to honk my horn. And they were honking their horn. There's lots of videos of it. It was awesome to see. It was awesome to see regular people supporting people that were, in the end... They were protesting and they were, you know, fighting, I guess you would say. Fighting is kind of a, an inflammatory word, but they're standing up for something that's going to affect them too. So they might as well support it. Um, and then the next thing, if I remember correctly, Trudeau announced, you know, Trudeau was, has been talking trash about these people for a long time. He was pointing, he was pointing to one incident of there being a Nazi flag spotted within the Freedom Convoy. And I wholeheartedly believe, knowing that they're agent provocateurs and agents of chaos or whatever the fuck you want to call them, I wholeheartedly believe the person who was holding the Nazi flag was a fucking Canadian government plant. Because Ben Trudeau used that picture and said, you know, if you're basically, he said, and he insinuated, you know, these people, they don't reflect the values of Canadians, regular, everyday, hardworking, individual Canadians. In fact, if you do support the Freedom Convoy, you're probably a Nazi. You're supporting a Nazi. Because look at this picture of this one Nazi flag that was planted, perfectly posed for a picture to get put on the internet. Um, so the next thing that he, the restriction that came down is he said, if, if you are seen bringing supplies, so gas, food, water, to the Freedom Convoy, you will be arrested on site by the police and whatever. And people were still doing it. People were, you know, I'm sure the numbers and uh, amount of people that were, that were, uh, you know, supporting probably diminished a little bit. But the Freedom Convoy still prospered, still continued to do their thing, still growing in numbers, whatever. That was fucked up. I mean, I, I think I talked about that in the past, though. And then, 
one of the more recent things that they decided to do, using the Emergencies Act, which is a bill that was that was passed, I think, early on in the pandemic, Trudeau announced with the Emergencies Act, there was not going to be any liability put on the government. There's no chance. There's not a single... Yeah, there, there's no possibility that there could be any legal repercussions for the Canadian government for doing this. So they invoked the Emergencies Act and they called on banks in Canada to freeze all of the people associated with the Freedom Convoy's bank accounts. So they were basically taking the Freedom away from Freedom Convoy participants to use their own money, money that they owned, money that they worked for, money that they received. The Emergencies Act kept them. Justin Trudeau ordered banks to take the livelihoods away from the Freedom Convoy participants and people associated with them. That was one of the most recent things that happened uh, as far as coming from Trudeau. And then just recently, <clears throat> there was a... So obviously, I talked about this in the past. GoFundMe, the GoFundMe... Um, fund for the Freedom Convoy reached like almost $10 million. And then GoFundMe decided they were going to shut that down. And they're going to take that money and distribute it to charities that they decided to funds that they decided were more fitting, which I hope they face legal repercussions. I think there are a few states that are investigating it because that's fucked up. That is immoral. That is unethical. That's illegal. People donated. It is not GoFundMe's right? They don't have the right and it's not their business. Why or who these people are, why they're deciding to support a cause. That is their individual choice to support a cause that they see fit. For whatever reason, they decide they want to support the Freedom Convoy. That is their decision. They decided to put money in and then you as GoFundMe decide, I'm going to take these people's money and the money that they decided to support and decide the cause that they're supporting is wrong and we're going to distribute that money without their consent, without their approval, that's fucked up. And they're facing backlash, they're facing legal repercussions, and I hope that they're punished to the fullest extent of the law, and I hope that nobody ever uses GoFundMe again. And I'm ashamed to say that I have used GoFundMe in the past. Actually, I'm not ashamed to say it. I used it for good causes, and fortunately that the funds were hopefully not distributed to groups that I don't agree with and that I, if I'm going to donate to someone's funeral costs, I'm expecting the money to go directly to them and to the, the party that's involved with the funeral. And I hope that it helps. And that's what people, that's how people felt about the Freedom Convoy and GoFundMe took that away from them. So there are other kind of donation types of websites that have already existed and that were gaining popularity. One in specific was called, let's see, I just had the name of it. Oh, it, it was called like, it was called like a uh, GoFundGo or something like that. Something just, just like GoFundMe, CFundGo, something like that. So a GoFundMe alternative, they were starting to, they started to fund, starting to gain money. And then the list, the private anonymous list of donors got doxxed and released to the internet. And there were journalists like, so there was actually an article of the Washington Post. They were not listing the names, of course, because that could give them some serious legal problems. But they were basically letting their, 
readers and their audience know, you can actually look at the list yourself if you want. If you want to look at the list of people, these horrible, evil, probably MAGA, anti-vax, anti-mask demons, if you want to see these demons and make sure you're not associated with any of them that donated $50 to the Freedom Convoy, it's out there. You can look for it. So some of these people now are probably going to be subject, because that's how doxing works, they're going to be subject to getting harassed at home, their family and friends getting harassed, their jobs are probably getting notified, and the jobs are going to probably get to the point to where they're getting annoyed, they're they're getting 100 calls, 100 emails a day about how there's a Nazi at your work, there's a pedophile at your work, this is how, this is how, this is how the, the doxers and the hackers and the, the, this is how extreme it's gotten in 2022 for political ideologies. People on the left think they're doing a good job by doxing because it was someone on the left. It was not someone that, why would someone who's supporting the Freedom Convoy, why would they dox this list of donors? That doesn't make sense. It was obviously someone from the left that doxed these people. And there are people on the left that genuinely think and support and they, they genuinely think that it is okay that these people are being doxxed and harassed just because they privately decided they wanted to donate to a cause that those who support it, the doxing, don't agree with. I think that's disgusting. I think it's really sad. And like I always say, hit people where they're hit people in their wallets. If you get any if you get harassed, if you lose a job because of something like this, I hope that you have the resources and the time and the money to be able to you know, uh, hurt them in court and get your revenge because it's not okay. This type of behavior is not okay. I do not support the doxing and harassing of anybody just because of political ideology. And especially something like this. These people decided privately, this is a cause that I want to contribute to. And now they're probably getting harassed. Their life's in danger. Their job's in danger. Their livelihood is in danger. All because people have been so radicalized this is the reason they've been radicalized starts from school, college, workplace, the media. The media is making it people like Don Lemon, people like like Rachel Maddow, people in the legacy media and sometimes even independent media, they have normalized being violent and being what do you call it? What's the word that uh, people on the left always like to pretend they they use? Um, the the uh, what do you call it? They, basically, they've militarized political discourse. They've militarized political discourse, and it's dangerous. And we're seeing the backlash right now. We're seeing the effects and the consequences of those actions. People actually genuinely support the doxing and harassing of people who made private donations just because they don't agree with the cause you know what's great about a free market if you don't support the cause you don't have to give them your money because that's all they care about at the end of the day money is what matters most the freedom convoy didn't get any press the government didn't start attacking them and restricting their ability to protest until it hit corporations that's not a coincidence Justin Trudeau is such a corrupt piece of trash, he probably was getting a shit ton of threatening emails and calls to his assistant and to him saying, you know what, 
Our stock is down 10%. Our stock is down 15 points because of the Freedom Convoy. If you don't take care of it now, we're going to we're going to release this document that said we donated 500 million to your campaign or whatever. That's how it works. It's not a conspiracy theory. That is how politics works in the western world and in other parts of the world. So, if you support this, I really want you if you support the doxing and harassment of people who support the Freedom Convoy and all the other horrible things that have been done to them just not even just for participating just for associating or supporting or putting out a tweet or a Facebook post or an Instagram post or making a donation if you support the doxing and harassing of that group you need to sit back and ask yourself how would you feel how are you going to feel when the gun is inevitably pointed back at you because that's how these things work. When you give groups of power this much freedom, it's a slippery slope. And eventually, the, the tables are going to flip. The tables are going to turn. And your ideology is going to be the one that is getting targeted and doxxed and harassed. And are you going to feel the same way? Are you going to cheer this on? Are you going to tweet about how great this is and how happy it makes you? I highly doubt it. But... That, I think, is going to be the last last thing I'm going to talk about. This episode was far longer than I thought it was going to be, but, you know, I had a lot to talk about. Like I said, there are actually a lot more notes on here that I will save for the future. But before I end the episode, I'm going to try something new. not going to do it maybe every episode, but because Anchor is a part of Spotify, you can actually share um, music that's on Spotify. Uh, you can, like, sample it for free. Um, I'm sure the, the artists get some kind of like royalties or stream numbers or whatever. It, it helps them out. And there's a song that I wanted to share. I've actually shared music from this band before. It's called the Timothy Morris Band. And I've said last time I shared his song Mystery that he's my cousin, but I'm not sharing his music just because he's my cousin. I genuinely love the music. I love the music for so many different reasons, but just to kind of preface this a little bit, I've told you guys before, I'm a content creator, I'm a writer, I'm passionate about my stuff, and I love seeing and being able to tell from other artists or content creators, I love being able to tell. You can tell when someone's passionate about what they're doing. <clears throat> you can tell. The quality's just better. You can tell by the way they carry themselves, if they're doing it for passion, and love for the art and for the craft or if they're just doing it for money and attention and clout or whatever and i that's one of that's the main reason why i love the timothy morris band and i love music that my cousin tim and his family make so i hope you guys listened to that last song that i shared mystery it was a few months ago it's a great song i love the band i love the music that, that he makes because like i said you can tell, you can hear, and you can feel the passionate emanating in every single song that the band makes and performs, and that my cousin Tim sings and performs. The vocals are oftentimes really raw, not overproduced and fake sounding like a lot of a lot of musicians. Some people like that stuff, some people don't. I like a little bit of mix, but with him, with his music, it's perfect. You can feel, like I said, you can feel the passion, the pain, the strife, the anger, the excitement, the happiness. You can feel all that through his vocals. His dad plays the drums. He does the percussions. He does 
it's a it's a whole family run operation honestly um i know his mom one time catered for for all the people that were involved in the big music video for that song mystery that i shared his one of his sisters does the production and i want to say directs and probably edits the music videos sometimes it's a whole passionate family close knit band and it's beautiful i love i love that kind of stuff the music is great and it's also a plus that I know him um, because I'm super proud of him. He's a couple years younger than me, but I'm super proud. And I felt that this song that I'm going to share is perfect for really any time. Uh, it's a timeless track, but it's extra perfect for now because it's it was a good reminder for me, served as a good reminder for me when I was listening, re-listening to it. I had it on repeat yesterday, um, but it could serve as a great reminder for everyone who listens and everyone really in the world because like I've said in the past I am not always paying attention to current events I'm not always constantly looking for current events and political discourse and discussions and things that are going on that I can talk about and turn into content I don't do it a lot but when I do sometimes it can get me in a doomy a doom and gloom mood and that's the main reason why I have this why I'm creating this merch and why the the logo is the the design is the way that it is when you're feeling the weight of the world if you feel like it's suffocating you or it's crushing you just go outside just go outside it can be really simple go outside talk to your neighbors if you can if you're not into that go for a walk listen to the birds singing in the trees look at the the beautiful green hills go to the mountains go to the beach do something just go outside and this song Without further ado, I'm just going to give my closing spiel. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Please continue to support it. And here is A Song of Hope by the Timothy Morris Band. Enjoy, and catch you on the next episode. I don't mind being up all night. I just wish it was with you. I had a dream I was killing time just before I was rescued. I don't mind if you disappear Just as long as you come home It's gonna be a spectacular year I refuse to spend it all alone I'll never be the last voice she hears Before we fall asleep But now this words don't ring so true Baby, since you kissed me I don't think we really know Maybe it's just time to go Cause you don't have to spend another minute of your time alone When you don't want to But give another day I'll make you mine Slow down, don't wanna wreck you Once upon a time I was looking for love In a town full of recluse You caught me by the with the song of hope Now what else can I do? I don't want to spend the rest of my life Wondering what if I'd had you I just want to spend the rest of my days Knowing who